The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. This show is presented by Window Nation as always. Call them at 866-90-NATION or head to windownation.com if you've got a need for new windows. Jay Gruden coming up in the next segment. Jay will preview the two title games, plus we'll get a lock of the week selection from Jay. He hit on the lock of the week last week with the Chiefs. And Jay will reveal which of the two quarterbacks, Drake May and Jaden Daniels, He prefers if, indeed, that's the choice that Washington has at number two in the 2024 NFL Draft. Stay tuned for that. The smell test will finish up the show in the final segment. Three picks on the two championship games, two totals, and a side. 80 degrees today. A record-setting temperature at Reagan National. I think it was Reagan National. It may have been Dulles. But 80 degrees in the D.C. area. Uh, Unbelievable for January 26th. It's not going to last long. Uh, The weather is going to turn chillier. In fact, the weather on Sunday for the Baltimore-Kansas City game, rain and chilly, low 40s during that game. And the long range for you weather geeks like I am does indicate the possibility of some real winter when we get to Uh, February uh, in particular. I was thinking about this being the last Friday football show where there are games to talk about, plural. We'll have the Super Bowl in two weeks. Uh, But this is the 21st consecutive Friday, it flies, of doing a full-fledged Friday football show, previewing games, talking about games, picking games, smell tests, etc. September 8th kicked us off. Remember, as we were getting ready for a sold-out home opener, first game without Dan Snyder, the debut as a full-time starter for Sam Howell, and Washington won the game 20-16. to Wasn't impressive when you think about that opener. Uh, they struggled against the Arizona Cardinals, uh, but then they went and beat Denver the following week, and we thought, here we go, 2-0 start, not bad. Uh, they would only win two more in their next 
15. Uh, but man, that seems like so long ago. It is the best time of the year when we start with kind of Labor Day weekend with all of the college football and then that following week of getting ready for the Thursday night opener. Uh, this year it was that Kansas City-Detroit game and then that entire week one, which included you know Washington and Arizona. The late game that day, if you recall, was Philly and New England. Um, Philly won the game, uh, and the game of the day featured Miami and the Chargers, and I was just looking at the week one results. Miami beat the Chargers 36-34, to and I think, you know, in the moment, there were a lot of people that thought these are two really good football teams. You know, two teams that were in the postseason the year before, uh, but two teams that really have a chance this year. And for much of the season, it looked like Miami really did. And then in that week one Sunday night game, that was the night that the Cowboys beat the Giants 40 to nothing. Um, 21 consecutive Friday football shows. Uh, No Friday football show next week, but we'll be back with a Friday football show doesn't mean we're not going to have shows, as you know, um, but we'll be back with our next Friday and final Friday football show before uh, the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. So I wanted to read this note that I got from Liam uh, to start the show. Liam wrote, Kevin, big fan of the show. I don't live in a family of sports fans. My father is a theater actor. My mother works for a tech company in Virginia. But my love for football started when my friend invited me to the Redskins-Cowboys game in 2006. It was the game where Sean Taylor picked up a blocked field goal and Nick Novak kicked the game-winning field goal on the next play. I was hooked. Let me just interject, and I'll read the rest of Liam's note here in a moment. That's a hell of a first game to go to. It was not a good season, 2006. But Troy Vincent blocked the kick. Sean picked it up. He starts running around. They grab his face mask. They add 15 yards to the end of the return. They also have the untimed down Uh, And Nick Novak drills it through the uprights for a 25-22. No, not 25-22. 22-19, I think, was the final score. I'm pretty sure that's correct. Um, That's a really good first game, Liam, for you to have gone to. And I can imagine uh, it was a game where uh, you were easily uh, hooked. Uh, He writes after that, I wasn't around for the glory years that you lived through, but I was wondering if the start of those years is in any way similar to what is going on now with a highly desired general manager in place, and it looks like the number one offensive coaching candidate like Joe Gibbs on his way to D.C. too. Uh, Thank you for the note, Liam. So it's not dissimilar but it's not exactly the same for a lot of reasons. Let me start with this. Number one, the glory years from my standpoint didn't start with Joe Gibbs in 1981. It started with George Allen coming to Washington in 1971. Washington had been a perennial loser for two to three decades. I mean, they hadn't won since Sammy Baugh 
was in uniform when George Allen arrived. And that really started a 22-year run, 71 through 92, of Washington going to the playoffs 13 times in 22 years, five Super Bowl trips in 22 years, and three Super Bowl victories during those 22 years. I think the glory years are really George Allen, 1971, through Joe Gibbs, and Joe Gibbs's final year in 1992. Um, and then the glory years era was over. Um, so that's for starters. I, I don't consider, I think most of you listening would agree with me that the winning started and the tradition of Washington being the biggest show in town by far, the football team, really started with George Allen. Some of you would say the sunny years prior to George Allen with Charlie Taylor and Jerry Smith and Bobby Mitchell, et cetera, but they didn't win. The winning started in 71. Now, um, here is the similarity. The similarity would be if Washington lands Ben Johnson, the number one offensive coordinator Uh, that is being viewed as a head coach during this hiring cycle. Joe Gibbs was in a similar spot in 1981. He was the offensive coordinator for Don Coryell's San Diego Chargers, and the Chargers of that era were the most entertaining offensive team in the league, Um, even though they didn't get to a Super Bowl, but they were just incredibly uh, dynamic and fun to watch offensively. But the general manager was already in place in 1981, uh, and the owner was already in place in 1981. Jack Kent Cook was here, and Bobby Bethard was here. Bethard took over in 78. Bethard, Bethard fired Jack Pardee after the 1980 season. There were three years between George Allen and Joe Gibbs. Those were the Jack Pardee years. They weren't bad years. They went 8-8 eight and eight in 1978. Uh, they actually started that season 6-0 and um, and then had a terrible end of the season and missed the postseason. The 79 season with Pardee is a memorable season. They went 10-6, and um, but uh, that season included the, the famous or infamous season finale in Dallas where they lost 35-34 to and blew a 13-point lead in the final few minutes of the game. If they didn't blow that lead, they would have been the number one seed and they would have had home field advantage throughout the playoffs in 1979 and would have been the favorite to go to the Super Bowl that year. We have talked about this many times, but if that had happened, if they had held on to that lead, we may have never seen Joe Gibbs because they would have gone to the playoffs. Who knows? Maybe advanced to a Super Bowl. That was the year, by the way, Pittsburgh beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. That was the last of the four 1970s you know, dynasty Chuck Knoll Steeler teams that won uh, the Super Bowl. But the other part of that is that Riggins retired for a year. If they go to the playoffs, if they hold on and beat Dallas, Riggins probably doesn't retire. That loss was so devastating to him that he retired for a year. And Jack Pardee probably has a few more years and Gibbs ends up somewhere else. But anyway, uh, they did lose that game. And Joe Gibbs got hired in 1981 by Bobby Beathard, who was already there, and Jack Kent Cook, who was already already there. But yeah, if they land Ben Johnson, it's similar to Gibbs. The there weren't many hires in 1981. The uh the the number of firings were limited. Bum Phillips got fired in Houston. Uh they had lost a playoff game in 19 uh in in 1980. Uh and 
By the way, he had gone to back-to-back AFC title games with the Houston Oilers in 78 and 79, but they fired him and hired one of his assistants, Ed Biles. Bum Phillips then went to New Orleans and replaced Dick Nolan. Um, And then there was one other opening other than Washington. That was Denver. They fired Red Miller, who had taken the Broncos to the Super Bowl in 1977, and they hired Dan Reeves. Now, Reeves was considered to be a guy at 37 years old that was a head coaching candidate, but many people back then assumed that Reeves was the heir apparent to Tom Landry. But Reeves got sick sick of waiting around for Landry to retire, and it would be many more years, uh, six more years, until Landry was run out by new ownership, Jerry Jones, et cetera, Jimmy Johnson. Um, and Reeves took the job in Denver. So Reeves and Gibbs were considered comparable offensive minds working for head coaches who called, you know, plays uh, offensively. I think Coriel called plays. I'm not sure. Um, but Gibbs was, you know, kind of a get. He was sought after. Now, Washington hired the number one offensive coordinator. Uh, during the hiring cycle in 1994 in hiring Norv Turner. Norv Turner was the guy to get uh, when he was the offensive coordinator for Jimmy Johnson in Dallas. Uh, Jay Gruden was hired as a sought-after offensive coordinator in 2014. Uh, You'll hear him talk about the hiring process um, when he got hired by Washington coming up in the next segment. But anyway, thanks, Liam. Um... One other thing, too, as it relates to the Gibbs hiring in 81 and the potential hiring of Ben Johnson here in 2024, I don't know how many of you will agree with me on this, but I remember thinking when Joe Gibbs got hired, I remember my reaction being, Joe who? I don't think in 81 we had a lot of interest. I don't think we had a lot of awareness as fans of coordinators. We knew coaches, head coaches, and players. I'm sure there were a couple of coordinators. I mean, I remember Bud Carson as an example in Pittsburgh. There are probably a couple of others. But Joe Gibbs came in in 1981 as a mystery to fans. And there were a lot of question marks like, who? What are you doing? Who are you hiring? That's not the case with Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson will come in with expectations. Ben Johnson will come in with a lot of fanfare um, if he gets hired next week or you know after Detroit plays in a Super Bowl. Um, anyway, uh, all right, let's get to Jay Gruden here in a moment. But before that, let me give you my thoughts on the two championship games along with predictions on both. First of all, I can't wait to watch Baltimore and Kansas City on Sunday. I just think that this is one of the biggest conference championship matchups in terms of anticipation we've had in a long time. Maybe the Brady um, game with Tampa at Lambeau against Rodgers a few years ago was you know, hyped up in a, in a big way. But this is Patrick Mahomes and the run of the Chiefs of the last five years against the best team of this season. Lamar Jackson, you've got stars. Um, it's, the, it's the more anticipated of the two championship games on Sunday. 
I just think Baltimore is too good for everybody left in this field. And I think Kansas City is going to reveal themselves once again to be who they've been throughout the year. Now, the last two games against the Dolphins in the frigid weather uh, at Arrowhead and against a Buffalo team that was banged up, you know, there are a lot of people that believe, hey, here come the Chiefs again. They've rediscovered themselves offensively. Look out. I think it's more about the two opponents and the setting of the two games. If you go back to the last legitimate good defensive team they faced, it was the Raiders on Christmas Day. They lost the game outright with the Raiders generating hardly any offense. They struggled to move the ball consistently against New England in December in a game in which they were facing a really good defensive team. And neither of those two teams is anywhere near as good as Baltimore is defensively. I think the Ravens are going to win this game big. I think Mahomes is going to be not good. Uh, I don't. I think it's not going to be his fault. It's going to be all about the Baltimore defense. But I think we're going to see one of the worst statistical days from Patrick Mahomes. I don't see Pacheco being able to run the football against Baltimore's defense. I just like the Ravens. I think they remind me so much of the 91 skins. They are such a complete football team. They are dominant defensively. They are explosive in multiple ways offensively. Their special teams are great. I like Baltimore Sunday in the first game, 27-10. to over Kansas City. Uh, NFC Championship game, Detroit's not a good defensive football team. They're just not. Uh, I would be concerned a little bit if I were a 49er fan because of the way Green Bay moved the football against them last week, but I really see this being a Christian McCaffrey kind of a game. Um, Brock Purdy, I don't think, is going to have to do that much. If he does have to do a lot, I'd be a little bit concerned. Uh, I'm not sold on Brock Purdy. I didn't think he played that well last week. Uh, When he hasn't had his weapons around him, they haven't done very well offensively. But this is a McCaffrey game. To me, it is. Um, I like the 49ers to roll. Detroit's just happy to be there. There's pressure on the Niners. They've got to win this game. They've got to get back to a Super Bowl. The latest news is that Debo Samuel, more likely than not, will probably give it a go. We'll see if he's 100%. I like the Niners to roll in this game 31-17 to over the Lions. Uh, if San Francisco is forced somehow to do it through the air and they put it on Purdy somehow, then... They could be in trouble, but I don't see how Detroit's defense is able to consistently stop McCaffrey, Um, and I like the 49ers offensively to do a really good job in this game. I also see it as a game that will move quickly because the 49ers will run the football and have success running the football. It's going to be a low-possession game. You know, the 49ers will have eight or nine real possessions, but I think they'll score on like five of them four touchdowns, a field goal. I don't think this game's ever in doubt. 31-17, 49ers over Lions. And I've got the Ravens 27-10 over the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, All right, Jay Gruden next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This segment of the show with Jay Gruden is brought to you by Window Nation. Call Window Nation right now at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. If you've got older windows, you want to replace those windows. You're spending too much on your heating bills in the winter, your air conditioning bills in the summer. Your home doesn't look as good as it should. And right now, Window Nation is offering half price on all window styles, 50% off on anything you purchase from Window Nation, plus 0% interest rates for five years. You'll get a free estimate if you mention my name, so you've got nothing to risk at all. Window Nation does a phenomenal job. I mean, they've got a great product. They install it accurately 96% of the time. That's right, 96% of their installs require no follow-up service. Uh, Their average installer, 16 years of installing windows. Call them right now at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. They take good care of the listeners of this podcast. Uh, Jay Gruden's with us as he is every Friday here on this show as we head into championship weekend. We'll uh, finish up with Jay's lock of the week at the end of this conversation. Um, I want to start with the fact that Bill Belichick, it looks like, isn't going to be hired in this hiring cycle. I know you know Raheem Morris well. He worked for you here. He worked for your brother in Tampa Bay. But are you surprised that we're down to two openings, Washington and Seattle, and it's looking like Belichick isn't going to be a coach in the NFL next year? Very surprised. Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, and Mike Rabel might get shut out. But Bill Belichick, obviously, is a big story because he's been so successful, won so many Super Bowls. Blah, blah, blah. But I think owners are probably a little concerned that he doesn't have much time left um, to coach, and they don't want to go through this process again. They're looking for the next young, upcoming coach that can last for some time, and they're afraid Bill will probably coach three or four years and step down, I guess. That's the only thing I can think of. I mean, you don't think it has something to do with the fact that he wasn't very good without Brady, do you? Do, do most people in the NFL that understand that he's still a really good coach or not? 
I mean, that could, that could, because they weren't very good the last couple of years without Brady, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, they, they did good with Matt Castle one year. They, they, uh, I think he went 11 and five with Matt Castle, which I thought was his best year of coaching when Brady missed that one year. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, these, these guys understand that it's Seattle, you know, they got Geno Smith and, and I guess that would be a good fit because he's a more experienced guy. Atlanta's looking for a new quarterback to build and probably have to draft and, and another young guy. And, and they probably just don't think Bill has time to develop a young quarterback. Uh, how good of a coach will Raheem Morris be this go-around? Well, he's the exact opposite of Bill Belichick, that's for sure. Uh, he's more of a player's coach. He's uh, very energetic. He's very similar to Mike Tomlin. They actually work together. They Actually, I shared an office with Mike Tomlin and Raheem Morris when we were at Tampa. Really? It's actually pretty fun. They're, they're, yeah, they're <laughs> both great guys and, and great motivators and understand the heartbeat of the football team and can motivate extremely well. Um, Raheem has experience on both sides of the ball, so he has knowledge on both sides of the ball. He was an offensive coach uh, at some time for Kyle, and he was a defensive coach, obviously, with the Rams and with Tampa Bay and, and different teams. So he's he's a good coach. I like Raheem a lot. And he's got great energy, and, and players all like him. When you shared an office with Mike Tomlin and Raheem Morris, was that, I'm just, and I'm forgetting, um, was that the Super Bowl year or not? Yes, it probably was. It was a lot of years. I was there for... Uh, right. six or seven years so the very first year I did not share an office with them I got moved up in the ranks from a closet to a little computer next to them right in the office there so yeah I think it was probably not the Super Bowl year because Super Bowl year was the first year so it's probably been a, year, a couple years after what was it like to be hired by your brother like how, how does the you know there's been talk over the years about nepotism in the NFL the Shanahan's obviously here um, what's that like to be the uh, the brother of the head coach? It was great. You know, I, I I never really thought about really working for him as much as helping him, trying to help whatever he wanted. You know, and I just try to give him as much information as he's looking for, not overstep my boundaries. Um, just try to give him the pulse of the team when, from my view and any ideas that he wanted. It was very easy. You know, it wasn't really a full-time gig. I was still working in the arena league, either as a player or a coach, so I was more of a seasonal coach back then, just an offensive assistant. I'd help with the red zone and the third down packages and things of that nature. And then on game day, I would uh, be his eyes and ears up there and, and help him recommend plays and talk to him on the phone and all that stuff. So or on the headset, so it was great, man. It was uh, never an issue. What's the age difference between you and your older brother? It's only three years. Three years. Are there other siblings? Uh, my oldest brother, Jim, is a radiologist. He works in New York City. He's like one of the top in his field. He works in New York City and, and uh, University of Duke. Was he a football guy before he became a, do- a radiologist? No, no, no. They're him and my brother. I was the youngest son, and those two were polar opposites growing up. One was a genius, and the other one was a jock. <laughs> and uh, they fought every day. All I did was try to break up. I just want to play Nerf basketball or something like that, and they were always fighting, so I was always a mediator. Was Jay encouraging? Did he think you were a guy that could potentially be a head coach when you were working for him as a young, you know, assistant, just running around doing whatever he wanted you to do? Yeah, he actually tried to hire me in 1997. I was, uh, I just took a job with the Nashville Cats as my first coaching job uh, in the Arena League. And Eddie Kayat was the head coach, and John just got the offensive coordinator job in Philadelphia with Ray Rhodes, and he wanted me to come be his quality control guy. And that was a that's that's a huge step right there. I mean, that is a great opportunity for a young coach. And I turned him down because I had just taken a job with Eddie Kayat, and he gave me the job. And 
and I was really helping him build the program because he didn't really know much about the Arena League, and I just came out as a player. So I stayed in Nashville, and he ended up hiring Sean Payton. So, yeah, I think it was <laughs> <laughs> probably, bad, probably a bad mistake by me to stay, but I just felt like I had to stay with uh, the old soldier, Eddie Kayak, for giving me the opportunity there. And I ended up getting a head coaching job in the Arena League, and then obviously, thankfully, he got the job in Tampa in 2002, and I was uh, playing quarterback still in, in Orlando, so I, I could get my foot in the ring in, in, in the 11-man game again because I was afraid – you know, the Arena League's the future was looking a little shaky, and I was scared that I'd just be known as an eight-man guy. So to get seven years working with my brother in Tampa really made a huge difference in my coaching career. Do you remember those days with your brother going from Oakland and away from Al Davis to Tampa and then ultimately the, the, the matchup in the Super Bowl? I mean, what was it like to be around that? Oh, it was great. I mean, it was, it was electric. Players were unbelievable. We had really – incredible talent on defense obviously everybody knows about that but john did an unbelievable job with the offense because when he got the job their offense wasn't very good uh enter brad johnson and um obviously we had keenan mccardell and, and Keyshawn and joe jarrett had some good plays and mike allstott was a heck of a back a battering back and the offensive line was you know kind of in shell he did a really good job of the offensive lineman um, getting those guys playing well and and obviously the tight ends and all that stuff michael Pittman at running back and he just utilized matchups very well, and, and in the Super Bowl, kind of in the playoffs, it kind of came along. Nobody expected us to beat Philadelphia in the, in the conference championship. Right. That's for sure. We were underdogs, I think, by ten or twelve. And I remember Jared Vicious catching a jerk route, going about seventy-five yards down the sideline, and Allstott putting it in, and Rondé getting a uh, fumble return for touchdown. Yeah, those are great times, man. And those guys played hard, and, and everything kind of clicked at the right time. And that's what's the key in, in the NFL is staying healthy, number one, and then obviously continuing to get better and then clicking at the right time and that's what they did that year yeah i mean that team really was known though for its dominant defense yeah yeah but offensively they made plays when they had to in the super bowl you know they had two yeah. defensive touchdowns but, but offensively they we put up like you know four or five touchdowns as well so played pretty good as well yeah no it was but defensively uh, yeah they were sick on defense there's no doubt about it um the uh the the Philadelphia that was the that was a stunner in that NFC Championship game. They lost two of them at home um, during a, that era before they finally broke through and, and won one. Because uh, I think they played three, if my memory serves me correctly, they played three straight NFC Championship games at home. Lost the first two and then won the third one. Went on to the Super Bowl and lost to uh, uh, New England. Um, uh, of your brothers, though, you were the you were by far and away the most accomplished athlete, right? Yes, John was a really good athlete. He just didn't grow. He was a really good baseball player, good quarterback. He went to Muskingum College, and he transferred to Dayton, or vice versa. I can't remember. Yeah, he transferred to Dayton. No, he went to Dayton and transferred to Muskingum. But, uh, yeah, he was a really good quarterback. He just never grew past 5'9", and he was a really, really good baseball player. Had a great arm, but just couldn't grow. And I happened to get the blessing of being able to grow past six six foot. And, and I was first team All-State in football and, and baseball, so, yeah, I was pretty good. Do you have any, do you have any ties to the Louisville football program? Like, do they ever ask you to do things for them? And I, I'm curious as to whether or not that that you know um, that connection has you at all, uh, you know, ever in Lamar Jackson's presence. No, no, no. I was uh, Howard Schnellenberger's first recruiting class, and uh, we weren't very good back then. But I feel like I'm the reason. And I just take this, you know, I just sarcastically, I say this, that they got a new stadium and they are where they are because I was the building block. You know, my, my squad, my recruiting class, 
versus Snellenberger's class. We were three, two and nine, three seven and one, and three and eight. And then we went eight and three, beat Virginia. We beat North Carolina. We had some really good wins that year. We didn't go to a bowl game because there weren't as many bowls back then. But that enabled them to recruit guys like Lamar and Dave Ragone and, and Jeff Brom and those guys. So yeah, so we were the building blocks. Yeah, I mean, they, there's a, there's a history. But I'm good friends with. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I'm good friends with Jeff, I'm good friends with Jeff Brom, the head coach. Right. He was actually. I was a GA and a, and a student assistant for a couple of years after I graduated, and Jeff Brown was one of the quarterbacks there, so we, we were pretty good friends. I kind of forget why Schnellenberger ended up leaving Miami shortly after winning a national championship. He uh, signed on to to the uh, new league, the USFL, the Washington whatever team it was, and they never came to fruition. Um, that team never came out, and then he took the Louisville job. Yeah, that's right, because the USFL was right around the time Miami won the national championship game. But Washington did end up with a USFL team. They were they were called the Washington Federals. Yeah, yeah, I think he was offered that. Something happened with that job, if I recall correctly, and it fell through, and uh, then he ended up going to Louisville. He was there for After a while? Louisville, he went to Oklahoma. Yeah, he was there for a good amount of time. Then he went to Oklahoma for a year, and, um, and then he went to Florida Atlantic. I mean, last of the year at Oklahoma because his ways of coaching were old school. Now it was it was punishing the players. It was it was training camps three days. And it was it was hard on players and running gassers till people almost passed out. No water breaks. You know it was it was tough. And then I heard at Oklahoma the the uh, the, the the main guy came up to him said you got to be easier on the players. You're killing these guys. And he said you just worry about the women's basketball schedule. I'll worry about my football team. <laughs> That's the way he was. he was. He was a great football coach, but he was really hard on the players, man. If you didn't like football, you couldn't play for him. Is he alive? I don't even know. No, he passed away a couple years ago. You know, he coached Jim Kelly at Miami. It was really the beginning yep. of Miami's, you know, ascension into a powerhouse program. He also recruited and coached Bernie, Bernie Kozar. Kozar. Yeah. And Vinny, and Vinny. Uh, did he coach? You well, Vinny won the national champion. He won the national championship. I believe, with Vinny. I believe Vinny was one of those guys there. I think Vinny was. I'm not sure, but for sure, Jim Kelly and Bernie, because that's you know his reputation was you know throwing the football and all that stuff. That's why I went to Louisville. Yeah. Um, on Ben Johnson, so it looks like that's the target. We've been talking about that for at least you know the last two shows that you've been on. Uh, he seems to be the guy that they want as their next head coach. Tell me what you like about him by telling me what you like about Detroit's offense. Well, I like I like that he utilizes his players the right way. He makes it about the team more so than how creative he can be. He doesn't have to be ultra creative, but he has a really good offensive line, and he takes after the identity his head coach has provided him with the path that the head coach wants. And uh, running the football is number one for them. The play actions off of it obviously are very good, and then the drop-back game is what it is, and it's, it's pretty good, but you know it's not great. It's, it's good. His whole MO is the, the play actions and the running game and over a, you know behind a powerful offensive line. And I think a lot... That fourth and goal play last week at the three yard line where they ran right up the middle, right over Vita Vea, says a lot about their identity. Not many teams are going to make that call. I promise you that, especially against Tampa Bay's defense. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he, he does a good job. He uh, spreads the field extremely well. He's got good personnel combinations. He keeps defenses off balance. But at the end of the day, he understands the identity of that football team and, and utilizes it perfectly. 
Um, as a Washington fan, should we be excited about the prospect of Ben Johnson being the head coach and really being the lead offensive yeah. guy? Yeah, I think you want an offensive guy right now at this stage of this franchise because of that number two pick. You know what I mean? I think uh, having an offensive-minded guy is good. Now Now the coordinators are going to be critical who he hires and, and how much of the play calling is he going to do. Is he going to continue to play call? That's important because you know, that's why he's getting the job is because his play calling abilities, and if he gives that up, you know, how good of a head coach will he be? That's unknown because he's never done it. Hopefully he keeps the play calling duties this year, first first couple of years with the new quarterback, and they grow together. That's what you want. You want your head coach, your young head coach and your young quarterback to be around a long time. If they hit on that second pick, they get Jaden Daniels or Drake May or Caleb Williams or whoever it is, they can grow together and make this fran- build this franchise up around the quarterback and around that head coach, and they'll be fine. But his staff is going to be critical. Who's he going to hire as D coordinator? Who's he going to hire a special teams coach? Who's his GM? Who's going to pick the players? And they just got to work all that out. But having Ben Johnson, a young offensive coordinator, is a really good thing. Uh, as it relates to the staff, is it a disadvantage if they win on Sunday and there's two weeks between the conference championship win and the Super Bowl and Washington can't officially name him head coach until you know the second week of February after the Super Bowl? Will that be a disadvantage in putting together a staff or not? A little bit, but I'm sure the main guys, He's probably targeted already and made calls to. Um, so I think those guys will be fine. It's just some of the, the the position coaches might be a little bit tougher because he won't be able to interview them until after he gets the job, obviously. So he might be behind the eight ball there. But I think the main guys will be fine. I'm sure he's got a D coordinator already targeted, maybe somebody on the Detroit staff or uh, somebody he's known in the past or somebody that has been let go already. Um, who knows? And then offensive coordinator, I'm sure he's got some – Somebody that he knows, he's got to be careful. Run into the, the the thing about hiring his buddies. You know what I mean? He's got to hire the best coaches available. Hopefully, he has a good defensive coordinator. I have no idea who that would be, but hopefully, it's a good one because that's they really need a good defensive coordinator because personnel-wise, they're they're behind the eight ball on defense. How did you put together a staff? You were hired earlier, but you know people just assume that everybody on the current staff goes. That's never the case. A lot of people on the yeah, current staff end up staying because you can't fill out a whole staff. So how to explain to, yeah. to everybody how that process works? Yeah, yeah, I, I kept uh, some of the guys on the staff because you know I, I had a lot of respect for Mike and Kyle Shanahan, and obviously their coaching background is pretty strong and hiring people is, is pretty good. So Jim Hazlitt was a defensive coordinator. Jim actually hired me in the UFL. So I felt a sense of loyalty to him and want to give him another chance with the defense. And Raheem Morris is on that staff. I kept him and obviously I kept Sean McVay. A lot of the guys just left when uh, and Chris Furster was a line coach. He's one of the best line coaches in football and he still is in San Francisco. I think the number one line coach in football personally, but um, so I kept some guys and I want to keep some of the terminology the same and and defensively, I want to try to keep some continuity with the D. I didn't want to start from scratch uh, my first year as a coach. I wanted some experience on my staff, and I wanted some uh, people who had some knowledge of what they did last year. And then, obviously, we want to try to change some things. But um, I knew it was more about players and drafting. We had to we had to get better personnel-wise. We're getting a little older on the defensive line. We didn't have many safeties. Linebackers were weren't very big, um, so we had to we had to really yeah. really. Uh, get some players in here and, and we missed on some free agents but we were pretty desperate back then personnel wise on defense especially and the offensive line was little so we had to try to find some more offensive line we got morgan moses and spencer long and drafting in them and um you know so we just we did the best we could but you know it's, it's, it's tough hiring staff um just because 
as a young guy, you don't really know a whole lot. You know, I had experience on my brother's staff, and, and I was with the Bengals for three years, but obviously I couldn't take anybody from the Bengals that I knew there. And uh, it, it was tough hiring people because didn't really know a lot. I had to interview all these guys. Yeah, I, that's one of the things I was curious about. You know, as an offensive coordinator, never been a head coach before, is it? it's harder to put together a staff, Yes. Yeah, it really is. You got to go by uh, word of mouth, really. People that you know that, uh, hey, I worked with this guy, he's really good, and I worked with that guy, he's really good. Because, you know, you start interviewing special team coaches, you know, they all get on the board. They all know how to freaking run punt protection, right? And they all know how to run a kickoff return and kick coverage. It's how they motivate players, how they uh, see players in drafts, and how they evaluate players, and, 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 and their scheme has to be sound. And, and most of them, you get them on a chalkboard for three or four hours, they, they, they all can talk up the game. They all know what they're doing. Same with defensive coordinators and quarterback coaches. I've interviewed a lot of really good coaches that get on a chalkboard and can wow you. And you're like, damn, this is a great guy. And then you hire them and then you interview the next guy the next day. You're like, damn, this guy's good too. Then the next guy, you're like, shit, this guy's good too. You know, so it's, it's, it's hard. Um, but you just got to do the best you can. Word of mouth, people that you know that have worked with these guys. And you just want to make sure they're loyal people and they're good motivators and they're really good with players and uh, obviously can evaluate talent. Here's something I don't think uh, we've ever talked about. Tell me about the hiring process. When did you know as the Cincinnati offensive coordinator that you were, first of all, going to be sought after? Um, how many teams did you interview with? And just tell me about the process of interviewing here. After my first year, I had a couple calls to interview, and uh, I, I, you know, I wasn't really ready. And, and I felt you know, like I needed to stay a year. It was Andy Dalton's first rookie year. We were 9-7. and seven. We had a pretty good year. We went to the playoffs, lost in the first round to Houston. But I had some calls for interviews, and I turned them down because I wanted to stay another year with Andy and, and Coach Lewis. Then the second year, I had four or five interviews. I think Arizona, Philadelphia, um, who else was it? There's three or four other interviews that I did. Um, and then uh, I didn't get any of those in the last year. Um, Washington called me, and then I was supposed to interview with Tennessee the following day, but I ended up signing with Washington. So how did the Washington thing come to fruition? I obviously knew Bruce back in the uh, Buccaneer days. I think they probably wanted to hire my brother first, but he was working at ESPN. And, uh, so they came after me and, and uh, offered me the job because I knew Bruce and obviously uh, had a background there. He was always in the press box with me um, in the Tampa Bay Buccaneer days. And I think that connection there was really what set it over the edge as far as me getting hired and obviously John not taking it. So. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if they offered it to my brother or not, but I assume they did. What go, what went on in the interview process? How, what goes on in a head coach interview process? It was mainly uh, Bruce and Dan, obviously, and, and uh, we talked about future staff possibilities, ideas of who I would bring in, make the offensive coordinator. I told my one of Sean as the offensive coordinator, and they're like, "Does he think he's ready?" I said, "Yes, he's ready. He's gonna. It's a perfect transition." Because he knows our offense at Tampa Bay, he knows what I did at Cincinnati, and obviously he's got the background with Kyle and uh, Mr. Coach Shanahan, and we could kind of, you know, make our offense a little bit easier uh, from a transition standpoint and keep some of the same terminology that they had, so it wouldn't be brand new for Robert or Kirk. So that was easy. Then defensively, obviously, uh, I thought they had some did some decent things on defense uh, with Coach Hazlitt, the blitzes, the three four. Had some two traps that I liked that he did on defense. They just didn't have a lot of great personnel, so I want to give him another chance, a year at least. And uh, and then special team wise, um, we needed a special team coach, and I went through the interview process. I think we hired Ben Kotlika, and he did a good job. But did you was it was it one interview? Yeah, it was just one interview, face to face with with Bruce with Bruce and Dan. Yeah, 
yeah, it was Bruce and Dan at his house, and uh, they offered me the contract and talked to my agent and signed it. Uh, did you ask your brother for advice on working in Washington? No, not really. I mean, we we knew Bruce and, and, and all that stuff, so we had a little bit of background with Bruce. And, and we, I, we know it's going to be tough. I mean, they were, weren't very good. They're 3 and 13, right? And, and you know, that's really good staff. It's not like, you know, they, they, they were players were just weren't very good and, and weren't playing very good at the time. And obviously, we just had to revamp the roster. We knew that. And we didn't have a first round pick, so that hurt. But, uh, you know, we, we tried to do the best we could with free agency in the draft and do all that stuff. And no matter what team you get a head coaching job for, you're going to have your deficiencies because the jobs are open for a reason. It's not necessarily because the coaches were terrible. It's obviously, there's some player issues, usually at quarterback or uh, maybe defense or whatever it might be. So you got to really do a good job of trying to find the right people to fill those spots. Did um, I know I've asked you this before, but I'll just ask it again. Um, how much of the conversation in the interview was about get, getting Robert to bounce back and be the quarterback that you know Dan and Bruce really wanted him to be, and that Robert wanted to be? Well, that was, yeah, that was the intent for sure. We did everything we could. Like I said, I that's why I kept Sean. I mean, I was going to keep Sean anyway, but we wanted to try to make it as smooth as possible, and I wanted to keep some of the same things that Robert did uh, his rookie year some of those same concepts um, and carry him over because he was really good at those things. I wasn't going to make, I wasn't going to force Robert to do what Andy Dalton did as a true drop back guy. I was going to implement some of those because I really think they're good stuff. We had some really good stuff, I think in a drop back game, but we also wanted to implement some of those zone reads and uh, the play actions that they did and try to make it as smooth as possible for Robert. It was all about Robert actually. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, all right, real quickly on the quarterbacks that'll be available at number two. This is going to be a weekly question. Until have you spent any time looking at Drake May, Jaden Daniels, or Caleb Williams other than watching games this season? Just watching games, just watching games. And my my favorite guy right now is, is Jaden Daniels. I mean, I mean Caleb Williams, I think goes one, but I think uh, Jaden Daniels. I, I I think it'd be hard to pass on a guy like that. Really, the way he throws the ball and runs. I mean, and I know Drake May's a big statuesque type guy, and he can run too, but. Jaden Daniels' athleticism that I've seen on some of these games is ridiculous. I mean, he has like five, six hundred yards of offense at LSU. I mean, it's insane what he does. I mean, he has good players, but you know, if it's close, I always take. I would always err on the side of taking the more athletic guy. And they're both good athletes, both good prospects, but I like them both. Would Jaden Daniels fit well into a Ben Johnson offense? Oh, I think your offense has to fit around your quarterback skill set. So. You know, I think he would have to do some changes and add some things that that Jaden would do. But I think Jaden can do everything Jared Golf can do, right? He can hand off and do the play action. You know, <laughs> shoot. But the element of running for first downs and big plays with his legs are an element that Jared doesn't have. And um, to have a guy like that is just a huge plus. Yeah. I, I'm glad you said that because I was talking to somebody the other day. I think I was a guest on on a radio show, and. Um, I said, if you watch Jaden Daniels, yeah, he he ran the football a lot. He was electrifying as a runner, but I could totally envision him in the Jared Goff role, just with athleticism. You know, with a, an offense that runs the football and runs play action and runs boot, you know, and bootleg off of it, and he would be even more dangerous to me. He he'd actually fit that kind of an offense. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, for sure. The issue is is. Washington can't run the ball right now, personnel-wise. Their, their offensive line is nowhere near right. what Detroit's offense. I mean, not even close to what Detroit can do on offense with their offensive line. I mean, they got Frank Ragnow. They got that Sewell guy. They got, uh, you know, 
their tackles. I think yeah. Taylor Lewan, who's their other tackle? I mean, they're, I mean, they're they're powerful up front. I mean, they're really really good, and they have a tight end, Sam Laporta, that can block and run routes. And they don't have one here that can do that. They, they, their tight ends aren't very good in line blockers. Decker, Decker's they the, really got Decker's the other Decker, offense, Decker, and then Ragnall, yeah, the center's yeah, really good. Right now, the center and, and there are other guards that big. I can't remember his name, but yeah. he's really good too. So, yeah, they're they're good. And they got Glasgow as their other guard, you know, from Michigan. He's right. a big, strong guy. So, yeah, so they're 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 just way way better up front than what Washington is. So, there has to be some kind of um, change of the guard, I guess, on on offensive line. They got to get some offensive line, but more important, they got to get a tight end that can block in line and, and do the things that they want to do running the ball. Otherwise, they're going to have to run RPOs and outside zones and things of that nature will be a little bit different. All right, uh, let's talk the games this weekend. Real quickly, back to last weekend. I think the maybe the biggest story coming out of last weekend was Buffalo losing at home to Kansas City and a lot of conversation centered and focused on Josh Allen in particular um, and whether or not you know the, him losing and not getting past the Chiefs and is the window closing with Buffalo, et cetera? What did you think of that game? And then what are your thoughts on Josh Allen? Well, it was a great game, you know, and he's playing against a guy that's a little bit better. You know, there's, there's, I mean, Josh is a great quarterback. And I, and I made this point, there's 27 or 28 teams that would trade for Josh Allen right now. Right. They just, it's hard to get over the hump. Andy Reid's a great coach and Patrick is a great quarterback. So, um, it's unfortunate for Josh, but, uh, you know, he did, have some plays that I wish he had. He wish he had back, but I would take Josh Allen in a minute. I think he's a star, a superstar. He just hasn't been able to get over the hump. But he's only 27 years old. He's got plenty of time. He's got 10 or 12 more opportunities to do it, and I think he'll get it done eventually. And uh, the thing about having a guy like him is, is you can change personnel around them, and your team's still going to be just fine. And, and look what they did on defense with all the injuries that they had. They still were able to get to the playoffs and almost go to the conference championship again. Um, unfortunately, they just came up a little bit short. I mean, a little bit short. This may be more of a fan, you know, media conversation about games and weekends, but I'm curious as to whether or not you feel there's a team this weekend that has the most pressure on it to win. Oh, probably Baltimore. You know, Baltimore's come up short quite a bit, and uh, – and the expectations are through the roof defensively. They're number one in a lot of categories. Lamar is going to be the MVP, and the expectations for them are through the roof. And then San Francisco is probably in the same boat, both those teams. When you're number one seed and you have all these expectations, then, yeah, the pressure's on you. So both Baltimore and San Fran probably have the same amount of pressure on them, in my opinion. Right. Kansas City, no, because they've already won it a bunch of times. And obviously Detroit's got the Cinderella slipper on. Nobody really expects them to be there. Uh, so there's less pressure on them, a lot of pressure on the other two. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you um, on the two teams you mentioned, but I think it's a little bit more on San Francisco. Like, there's been this description of this franchise, of Kyle as a head coach, of almost genius level, and they haven't won a Super Bowl. And losing at home to Detroit, they almost lost last week to Green Bay, I think would absolutely nail down the conversation about them that they just have not gotten the quarterback right. As great as that roster is, they haven't gotten the quarterback thing. They haven't evaluated it correctly, and they haven't gotten it right. Yeah, that could be. Brock's had a hell of a year for a young quarterback now. 
Now, he didn't look great last week in the first three quarters, but he did put that drive together at the end of the game. And, and defensively, they should be okay to be, be able to keep their offense in it so they don't have to score 45 points a game. So that's a good thing. But, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, they have struggled at that quarterback evaluation process. Obviously, Trey Lance didn't work out, and um, but they did get lucky with Brock. So hopefully they get it done with Brock and, and you know make the necessary adjustments against Detroit to get it done. All right, which of the two games are you looking forward to watching the most? I want to see Patrick. And uh, this game, Baltimore-Kansas City, is going to be a great game. It's going to be fun. Um, these guys, you know, the thing about Kansas City, they're going to have to run the ball, but you can't run the ball against Baltimore. The way they ran the ball against Buffalo, and they got some two and three tight end sets, and Buffalo stayed in nickel, and they just overpowered them. Baltimore is not going to stay in nickel. They're going to play base defense. They're under defense and bring their safety down and um, – they're going to bludgeon you, so it's going to be tough going for Isaac for Pacheco. So they're Patrick's going to have to make a lot of plays off schedule to win this game, and Patrick's going to have to have his best performance of his career, I think, to win. You like Baltimore in this game? I do like Baltimore, but I I don't like to play against Patrick or Andy Reid. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like I do like Baltimore. I just think their defense is sick right now. They they can do everything to you. What about the night and the weakness? Yeah, go ahead. The no, go ahead. Baltimore's the weakness. defense is probably the corners. Uh, if Humphrey doesn't play, you can go after Darby, and but it's hard to get the ball down the field. And, and the weakness for Kansas City is the receiving core. You know, uh, so, so Rice is a good player. Obviously, he's proved to be a number one. But they're gonna have to utilize Kelsey and either Clyde Edwards out of the backfield or uh, McKinnon if he plays, or Pacheco out of the backfield in some passing games. Valdez Scantley's got to make a play, or Watson, somebody else has got to step up and make a play for them to have a chance. Lions 49ers. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is in this game is we got to see Debo if he plays or not. If Debo doesn't play, I think the Lions can pull this upset off. Debo is uh, a huge presence for that football team. Even if he only catches three or four balls, he, his presence, his toughness, his ability to run after the catch, his ability to block, his, his toughness that he brings to that football team is, is just huge for them. And uh, if he doesn't play, it'll hurt. But if he does play, I think San Fran can pull it off. The conversation, Jay, about the 49ers is an interesting one because you've just talked about Debo Samuel and his importance to them winning. He's been hurt. Kittle's gotten hurt. McCaffrey's been hurt. Trent Williams is 35 years old, is going to be 36 next year. Um, I'm not saying that they're not going to have an opportunity to be a really good team next year or the year after, but this is, you know, at, against Detroit at home. Uh, a team that's really not been there, they better get back to the Super Bowl this go-round. I mean, it's got to happen for them sooner rather than later. Yeah, for sure. You can make that argument for everybody because you can't. it's hard to keep your roster intact, especially if you're good. Players want more money. Coaches want more money. You know, Everybody starts to exit the building. The good players get bigger contracts than other teams, and it's hard to keep a team together. And, you know, and then you get a little bit older, like you mentioned, with some of those key players. So, yeah, this is a huge year for San Francisco, a huge year for um, Baltimore as well. All right, so you like Baltimore to win. You like the 49ers if Debo plays and he's healthy. If not, you like you like Detroit. Let's get to your lock of the week. Uh, you won it last week with Kansas City, plus the points. You actually loved them as a money line pick. What's your championship game weekend lock of the week? San Fran, I think. You know, I, I said even if San, I think even if Debo doesn't play, I just think San Fran's offensive line is going to overpower uh, Detroit a little bit. I think McCaffrey has a huge day, and Kyle will realize that uh, Purdy's struggling a little bit. 
with his confidence maybe, and he's going to feed McCaffrey. And he has to make sure, Kyle has to make sure he makes this game about his team and not about how tricky and creative he can be. Hand the ball off to McCaffrey and bludgeon the Detroit Lion offense and keep the uh, Jared Goff on the sidelines while McCaffrey runs to the left side, right behind my guy Trent. Laying the seven. That Now, this is up to seven and a half right now in a lot of spots, but I still see some sevens, so I'm going to give you San Francisco minus seven. By the way, I thought Detroit sh- – uh, I thought Tampa should have run the ball a lot more last week. I, I think – I know uh, White was banged up here and there, but I thought both backs, he and Edmonds, were capable of bludgeoning Detroit a little bit more than they decided to do it. I th- I, th- I was surprised that they let Baker throw it as much as, the, as he did. He, he, he did well, but I thought they could have run the ball against Detroit last week. Yeah, I think so. I think the weakness of Detroit is their ability to stop the run, and, uh, and that's what the strength of San Francisco's offense is. People don't realize how good San Fran can run the ball, not just with McCaffrey, but how good these receivers are at blocking. Juwan Jennings is maybe the best run-blocking wide receiver in the league and uh, that I've seen. I know we have Michael Clayton back in Tampa Bay, and there's been some. And Heinz Ward was really good at it, and Steve Smith was a great run-blocking Ryan receiver. Ryan Grant. But, yeah, Ryan Crane was forced into that role because I didn't have anybody else that would do it. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> uh, you loved so, yeah. Ryan Grant but, uh, digging but, out those safeties. I remember that. I didn't have a choice. He's yeah. the only guy we had that would do it. He was, he was willing to do it, thank God. Because, you know, I can remember a walkthrough one time. We had a play where we had a motion to receiver in and blocked the safety. And, and Deshaun did it and walked through. He came back to me. He goes, hey, Gru, that's not the game plan, is it? I go, no, we'll put Ryan Green in for that one, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go punt a few and enjoy the day, and I'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks, Kevin. Jay Gruden, everybody. Uh, San Francisco, minus seven is his lock of the week. 11-6 and six against the spread on this podcast all year long. Uh, if you're into premier high-line vehicles, exotic vehicles, unique spec vehicles, there's a new dealership in town that I want to tell you about. It's Magden Motors. Uh, they specialize in clean, low-mile, unique spec vehicles. Big brands, too, like Porsche, Ferrari, Lamborghini, McLaren. Uh, every car goes through a 110-point inspection and is backed by an extensive warranty. Financing and leasing is available on all vehicles, and they've got an expert staff with an average of 20 years of experience. A premier Highline exotic dealership in town, new to the DMV, it's Magden Motors. Go to magdenmotors.com to find out more. That's Magden, M-A-G-D-E-N, motors.com. Uh, Up next, the smell test to finish up the show right after these words from a few of our sponsors. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The smell test brought to you by, as always, my bookie. Go to mybookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC and you'll get a cash bonus on your initial deposit. You've got to use my promo code exactly as I just described, Kevin DC. Uh, and then you'll get the cash bonus on your initial deposit. Uh, my bookie's got the Ferris point spreads, the Ferris pricing. All of the prop bets that you would be interested in in the championship game doubleheader on Sunday. Just go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and they'll take good care of you. Even if you've got a place for these games, you know, there are three and a halves and fours out there on the Baltimore game, sevens and seven and a half, seven and a halves on the San Francisco Detroit game. You want to get the best number for the side that you're going to play. Use my bookie for the free cash. You know, sign up this weekend, take the free cash, and then have it as a place where you can compare to the place you have currently. You might get a better number. You might get a better price on the number. MyBookie.ag, promo code Kevin. DC three and three uh, in the postseason so far. Still seven games above 500 for the year. The two games on Sunday offer up, you know, I think obvious opportunities on the totals. Uh, and then up until just a few hours ago, I didn't think there would be a side that would make the smell test, but that changed. Uh, it looks like the public money on Detroit has gone up here recently, and the sharp money has definitely come in on the 49ers. So let me just start with Baltimore, Kansas City, the first game of the day. Uh, the action pretty much is split. Uh, there's a slight lean on the Ravens public-wise. Uh, they perceive the number to be a little bit short at three and a half, four, uh, but not enough for me to give out a side in that game. As I mentioned in the open, I do like Baltimore to win the game and to win the game and cover, um, but not um, from a smell test perspective. The totals at forty-four and a half, and despite both of these teams being outstanding defensive teams. In fact, the best scoring defense and the second best scoring defense so far this year. Uh, the public's playing the over. Uh, they love overs in standalone games, always. You know, Monday nights, Sunday nights, Thursday nights, you'll see the public generally play the over. They like over 44.5 in this one by a wide margin. I'll go under the 44.5 in the Baltimore Kansas City game. And then in the second game, uh, there's definitely now a public uh, play on Detroit more than there is on San Francisco, and there is sharp money on the 49ers, and that's bumped that line up to 7.5. I'll take the Niners by the half point and play them minus 7. Same thing with this game as far as the total is concerned. 51.5 is the number. The public's hammering the over in this game, so I'll take under 51 and a half. By the way, the Niners, they haven't covered at home in their last six games, including the playoff game against Green Bay. So a little bit of do theory that they're going to get it done uh, against the number as a favorite at home. Yeah, six straight home 
against the spread losses for the 49ers as good as they've been. They are, by the way, 9-9 nine and nine against the number all year long. Uh, the Ravens are 12-6 are and six against the number uh, this year. Um, so, uh, under Baltimore, Kansas City, 44-and-a-half. The Niners, minus 7, and the under in the Niners, Detroit game, 51 and a half. Those are the smell test plays. Uh, enjoy. Um, of course, as always, for entertainment purposes only. Uh, it won't be for entertainment purposes only for me. Um, and it probably won't for you either. Uh, let's get some wins this weekend back on Monday. Enjoy the games. If you're just joining us, here's the game. Tied at 19. Six seconds to go. Vanderjant has it blocked. Picked up by Taylor. Penalty flag on the play, and Taylor's still going. 47-yard try to win it for the Redskins. Good. Redskins win. 